This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. This is Modern Geek, podcast number 72, recorded January 28th, 2013. I'm Chuck. I'm Juan. Welcome back to Modern Geek. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no. I was going to say right off the bat, you've got a... uh, You've got a commercial here that we. Do you see this IE commercial for the this '90s nostalgia? I believe for for people listening, if you Google, I think it's uh, YouTube Internet Explorer '90s nostalgia. I think you'll get it. Uh, it's oh, it's just terrible. <laughs> you know, I, okay. I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't. Think, know, I think it was terrible. It was a little bit odd, like so many it, Windows and Microsoft and ie now commercials are they're sort of like they don't quite they're really well done because hey and i know they're spending a lot on them but they just never quite hit the mark you know okay so you got like the the shot of yo-yos floppy disks 56k modems fanny packs uh tamagotchi pets uh oregon trail which i think is actually 80s isn't it yeah and just basically all these shots, hungry, hungry hippos, and they're like, "What? What? What's bowl cuts? You mushroom uh, cuts? Yeah." The, <laughs> for the people who are not actually going to watch this, which which is probably a lot, um, yeah. I don't pogs, you. pogs, yeah, you no know, pogs, yeah. Essentially, what this is is they're tying to this '90s nostalgia, and they're saying, "You grew up, so did we. Come check out the new IE." The idea being that. That you know what you're not the same. It's kind of apologetic almost. It's like, well, it's, okay, it's we like, know we know it was weird back. Here. There was some cool stuff back then. I, it was cool then. It's not cool I now. S- I see what they're trying to do. Like this is in that same line of you know the the troll commercial where they have you know the internet. It's again an Internet Explorer and and it's that troll on the internet that's like IE sucks. Blah 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 blah. Then they say you know IE supporting all these new uh, fictional developer platforms and he goes. IE sucks dot 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 less. <laughs> it's like, yes, we understand. We have a bad we you've had a bad experience. <laughs> and they're what they're saying is, you know, you you know, try us again, please. But I think what this is saying is actually winds up saying is look at all this stuff that's no longer relevant. And Internet Explorer is right in there with them. You know, I I I I thought that at first, but it's not. I mean, it's definitely okay. clearly giving you the signal. They're they're admitting that, and I uh-huh. think that's where you're getting it. They're admitting. They're saying, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, we have a reputation for being a bit dated. You know, yeah. these things do too. You grew up out of this, so did we. Come on, come back and take a look. It's not. Right, I this guess is it's not just the cynic at me that's going. Yeah, okay." <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'll go. And, I'll, I'll whip out my uh, my uh, cylinder of pogs and uh, and check out IE ten. Right here, here's the thing. You know, when it comes down to it, I could give a damn about this browser is cool and this browser isn't. You know, everybody <laughs> always is like, "Well, you're cool if you use." I don't give a damn. Does it work? Does it do what yeah, I actually, need to that's do? That's the real problem of this commercial. This is not saying anything. It's saying, 
we we were cool and we faded away and we want to be cool again. It's like, okay, no, that's not why people stopped using it. It was because it was security hell, basically. Actually, I don't even think that's the case. I, I think what happened was, I mean, if you trace the history back, I mean, we should do that because that's kind of fun anyway. So well, uh, as long as we're digging into history, if I think 90s, I think Netscape. <laughs> Not really. I, I completely, I, know, I, I completely, one hundred percent disagree with that. Okay, lo- think. Okay, think on the uh, the era of like Internet Explorer three. That is the Netscape era, dude. You know how old I am, right? You know I probably <laughs> remember this very clearly, right? I know, but you know. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't think it was until Early like IE five that it really got traction, right? I, th- you know, yes and no. It, it kind of. Let's put it this way. Um, there was a lot of nothing. Netscape was obviously, you know, early on was it, right? Right. IE came along, and you're right. It, it did not get a lot of traction until eh, for definitely five, when which was in the 90s, when yes. it says, okay, we are now, because back then, this was a classic problem. This still is with other things, less so now with the web, but with other stuff, right? where you have a bunch of, quote, standards, which aren't really standards. They're really, at, the, at that early phase, they're kind of like they're proposed standards. standards. Right. And people, what, what everybody knows damn well, that what's going to be the standard is what people actually use. In the meantime, everybody's going to kick everything out, and everybody's going to, like, sign on with one or the other. And Netscape was just notoriously bad about that. Like, either they didn't support anything, because they're like, this is all crap. Everything should be simple, you know? <laughs> And and we're gonna we're gonna work that. And by the time IE five came around and said we're gonna deal with the stuff that makes Ajax possible. Now, granted, it didn't work out in the long run to be the standard, but it damn sure did in the short run. You could do yeah. things with IE five that you just flat couldn't do with anything else, and and that made it a business darling. Like it was everybody for a while. And then as you pointed out, when we were talking about this briefly before we started, Netscape went free, which gave it kind of another little boost again in terms of individual users that didn't give a damn about anything except what they were paying for or not. Yeah. And then five locked in. I mean, there were, I'll tell you this. Let me, let me just put it this way. No, no names named, but I, I worked with a client today that is still on an IE five standard. Oh, geez. Yeah. I- internally. I know that there's a lot of, and I won't name names either, but there's a lot of people I've interacted with that there are, that all of these work portals right. are all right, right, right. IE dependent, whether it's, you know, whether they've updated to like say seven, wheel, or eight. seven or eight, it's still all IE because it's like we built this stuff in ActiveX or 10, 15 years ago or, or on IIS with the, uh, or early, uh, uh, early ajax based stuff that was like right, before they is, called it ajax where they were using the object models the, microsoft the, yeah, specific the, the implemented stat effective standard of internet explorer right means that they're tied into that ecosystem right whether or not there's a better system out there it's already written so there's no budget to rewrite it exactly and, and so we're still feeling the effects right. of internet explorer from the 90s so i sort of feel like uh, i sure i still have some pogs around here <laughs> i don't this is why the commercial to me kind of resonated a little bit because I got the feeling that they were saying, we know 
that that we've got this reputation of essentially being this thing that is is stuck in this particular period where there's software that's stuck for it and it has problems and it works really well for certain things and horribly for others and it's essentially a thorn in everybody's side and guess what we've moved on and you should come check that out and and i'll, I'll i was going to say this honestly if if the latest ie turned out to be awesome I would happily abandon whatever and well, jump right on. And I'll, I'll say I, I've will. played a little bit with with IE and you know uh, at work and uh, on on the Windows 8 TV box I've got set up, and it's not horrible. I mean, it it works well. It's fast. Um, I think my my main hesitation with it from recommending it to others is just not the product itself, but the response time that Microsoft usually yes, gives to problems. Like the Chrome business model. will patch all of their machines. Behind the scenes, yeah, Firefox is you. coming along that way. IE will wait to second Tuesday of the month to patch anything unless it's a very public zero day exploit. And by public, I mean literally in the news. Not to and, mention, not to mention the, the, the motivation to make changes beyond simple security issues, i.e. Some, some, yuck, yuck. something comes out uh, and is a problem for... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, is is a you just it's bad. I know. It took but. me a second. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but like you know, I mean, say a new standard comes along, or say that somebody is using an exploit to a standard. I shouldn't say exploit a new kind of method of doing things that allows a very specific thing to happen that's a value, and everybody else says, "Oh, hey, everybody's using it this way. Screw standards. We need to handle this." Uh, Microsoft historically has not done that. Yeah, and I mean, they get bogged down by a lot of old baggage, right? Like the, yeah. the Internet Explorer, when you go and initially set it up, if you do the custom setup, you see how yeah, curmudgeon it is because like you've got you've got not only like anti-phishing stuff and all that, all those setups, pop-up blockers, but then you've also got like different setups for different types of compatibility modes, yep. which basically yep. means that they never actually got rid of IE 7 or 8 or for 9. Or six or five, yeah. They basically just built all those engines into the new browser and then backport all the patches to them within the browser in, and, and infrastructure itself. And you've got to give them some credit for that because, quite honestly, that's, it that's probably saved I don't know trillions of dollars of development money. <laughs> in the corporate world, that is the only way that they've been able to get people to to go up because you know the when when you're doing internal applications like that there's like extensive q a and everything takes yeah, a long time true, you have true. to have a standard browser so if they can say okay well we've got compatibility mode here which will work with the api then that we laid out, out in the previous browser then it's like okay then the pc guys can go release the new updates which means that we can keep security up to date so it's it's a necessary evil it's still not the best way to do it but I still don't think that, that the com the commercial is not really addressing any of that. And I think it's only because you and I have watched it from that perspective. Maybe. That, I can, that we can even point that out. Like, I can tell I you this, know, this though. The miss of this commercial, I mean, just to put it in perspective, you know, uh, our, uh, we don't have one of those uh, Apple ripoff Microsoft stores, but we yeah. do have a kiosk in the mall. Uh, it's in, oh yeah! Okay. Incidentally, you can play with a Surface there, which is kind of cool. Nice. Um, and, but but let's put it this way: it has about the same traffic on a. And I looked at it on a weekend, right? Yeah. 
it, it had about the same traffic as like the perfume place next to it. You know, the yeah. odd, odd sort of perfume with the person that chases you down and says, hey, do you want to try, you know, in the mall and you try to ignore them and walk on real fast? <laughs> Yeah. It's about the same kind of thing in the mall, which was kind of sad because you're like, damn, you know, whether you like this device or not, they put some serious damn dough into making this thing go. And they did come up with a new device and it is a new device. And it's interesting, if if not good. And no, nobody cares. Which you is, see the, I don't want to turn this into IE, no, uh, no, no, to no, Microsoft no. bashing at all. But did you see the uh, I think it was a CES presentation for the uh, the new Surface as in the 32 inch sized one mm-hmm. no i didn't it's the one that you keep you know I, th- I don't know somewhere between like 27 and 32 inch one that has like a little kickstand on it that you know it shows the dad playing with it and then he oh you, yes, you know, working did. on it and then he walks out of the room and he comes back and his laptop's gone and you know and you go see the kids have hauled it off and they're playing with it on the floor and using multi-touch and then the mom picks it up and tries not to grunt while she does because she's lifting a 32-inch television and drags it uh, drags it back into another room where she does shopping or something like that. And it's like, uh, I see what they're trying to do, but <laughs> I'm not sure the have the kids haul a 32-inch TV around the house platform is really the idea that they want to be going for. I, I think, and, and we should probably move on, but I, honest, yeah. I honestly think that, that the... The Windows 8 is is still kind of in search of its application. There is one. I think that those applications are not currently in use, and the only way they're going to get in use is to very clearly define what they are and stick it in everybody's face a lot. Yeah. Like if the idea here is that you want a TV mounted on the wall that you control, uh, that you walk by and control in your living room, uh, minority report style, uh, I think that could be really cool. Honestly, the OS is built really well for that. Oh, yeah. All the way it operates could be just absolutely beautiful. And with the way TVs are mounted these days, that would be an awesome way to control home stuff like uh, music and other things. But you know what? They're not showing people doing that. They're not telling us that's what it's for. They're sticking it on laptops with keyboards and mice, and it looks awkward and crazy as hell. It's trying to take the new new setup and wedge it into the old setup and it's that's like the not left the hand's way. not talking to the right hand you know yeah well go figure it's microsoft yeah, that's <laughs> true well anyway lots more to say on this but we'll come back right yeah exactly we've got some ios news 6.1 just came out and you can buy movie tickets through siri interesting i have to try that that could be fun i've bought mo- yeah. i have bought movie tickets <laughs> with uh with fandango and uh i think it was fandango and i put them i did use the uh um the passbook feature, and it worked fine. Yeah, I, when I go to work, I'm actually right. My building is right beside a movie theater, so mm-hmm. the uh, the scene, which is the like you know the no- local Cineplex membership club thing, uh-huh. pops up with my member card. Nice, that's cool. So, that's cool. Um, it's only in the U.S. for the buying the movie tickets, and I think they support some more LTE carriers. But that's about it. Um, this is actually pretty relatively uninteresting iOS. So that's all we're going to talk about it. Okay, let's um, talk about Harmony. Uh, yeah. yeah. Remember last week when I said that I was really pleased with how well the Harmony site was working? Yeah. Um, apparently Logitech's ditching Harmony. Now, uh, are they ditching it or are they selling it? Because it They're looks unloading like- it. They're not canceling it. They're looking to get rid of it. They're selling like, it. Yeah, they're going to give it to, you know, sell it off to someone else. I think I know why this is happening. 
I mean, okay. obviously, the the news is quite clearly and and sort of in a duh way telling us because it's not making a lot of money. Yeah, but I, I think the reason below that that it's not making a lot of money is that you know it's people are just not using remote controls the same way they used to. I mean, yeah, like I mean, the idea of having this stack of black boxes where you have ten remotes and you need one to control them all, not so much anymore. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's really the thing is that if you, they're 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 more into, uh, you know, controllers and you know, more, I don't know. They they don't want to. They're they're into like more mobile computing stuff at this point. And while the Harmony is is great, it's a great system for you know controlling all these varying technologies. When it comes down to it, if the same thing could exist on the iPhone, and I just don't even need the remote. I might even be compelled, or or a device similar to that. I, I would be, you know, compelled to to go with that instead. I don't, I don't know. It's it's kind of the the best solution to an old problem. Well, let let me just as a to play kind of advocate here, and right. uh, and throw out my situation and how I think it might uh, it might be duplicated. You know. In my bedroom, I have a, and have for some time, had a setup or an AV setup, and it's pretty decent. It's a 5.1 setup with a, you know, TV and a, and a, a, a tuner amp and some other input devices, right? Yeah. And when I first put this together, I used a Harmony remote to control it all. Right. Because there were, there were seven or eight remote controls, and they were all nightmarishly complex. And <laughs> Replace and, it with a 650, and you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is... Uh, this was kind of, I think, the bread and butter of, of the Logitech remote industry, right? Right. Now, fast forward a couple of years, and some of those devices just got old. And when I had the chance, I yoked them out of the cabinet and, and pitched them, you know? Yeah. So uh, going down from those seven or eight remotes, now I'm down to a tuner, a DVD uh, player, a blue, you know, a DVD slash Blu-ray player, right? Uh, actually, let's just say DVD player at this time. Uh, which can play CDs on the off chance I need to play one, a set-top box, which in my case is a Mac Mini, but for a lot of people will be a Roku or something like that, right? And, right. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's you know, and, and an Xbox. So now I've gone from all of that to a couple of controls. Now it's fast-forward a little bit further, right? And the Blu-ray player that replaced the DVD player, not only is it quite Capable and and the newer uh, tuner amp that I had to replace it with after the the godforsaken lightning destroyed the old oh, one. Right, yeah. Well. That newer tuner amp, of course, has a quite powerful you know universal remote with it, right? Yeah, and and can easily control multiple devices. The Blu-ray player, which it can control fine, is also capable because it's on the net. Uh, as is the tuner. Incidentally, they're both uh, capable of streaming various crap and and doing pandora and so on uh three ways you could four ways you can play pandora through my system in fact you can play pandora through any input on the system which is kind of funny i think yeah um go pandora right <laughs> but uh since they're all connected to the net they all offer uh ios remotes so if you're on the same network with it you know it's no problem it'll find it and you can use your phone as a remote uh, I've right. been using the phone as a remote for the uh, uh, for the mini for a long time. Uh, you can now use your phone as a remote for the Xbox, though you still need to turn it on and do some other crap like that. Uh, yeah. So what ends up happening? I'll tell you. It's real easy. The remote for I have one remote, the remote for the uh, uh, tuner amp, okay, and my phone. 
and I use the remote for the tuner amp, even though I've went, I actually took the time to program all the buttons on it. For the most part, I don't use it. I just use it to turn on everything that I want to use, and including the TV, and uh, to select the input on the TV because it's not even worth it at this point. There's no reason to have a program that will break half the time. You just hit the button a couple of times, right? Yeah. And uh, I use the phone. If I'm going to do anything complex, I use the phone for it. And if I just want to like start and stop the Blu-ray player, I use the remote. I'm hmm. done. Uh, my my Harmony remote is in a bin in the closet in case I ever need it. <laughs> right. Uh, so you know, it's still to use one for the theater, but I just think I'm I'm probably weird that way. I don't think there's a mass market anymore. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I think it's probably part restructuring and part yeah. That's this market is is definitely in an it's it's a niche market and it's only going to get narrower. Why but, don't they sell it to somebody? Yeah, well, I mean, it was a Canadian company back uh, before they purchased it, so they they're not exactly the first owners of this thing. So, <laughs> I mean, it would be cool to have this continue to work. But, yeah, agreed. Um, and what happens when it goes? I kind of wish boned. you know. It's like remember back in the back. There's been like so many different link. Like JVC had its own link standard, and you know, and and. You know, Samsung's had its own link standard. Everybody's had all these like cabled link standards, and then they have all these wireless uh-huh. link standards. And oh yeah. What I would really like is like you know everything's net enabled. What it would be really nice is for somebody not a hardware manufacturer, but to develop like an API for network awareness of that kind of like a universal plug oh, and play. Not kidding. Setup like this. This is a amp. It provides this feature. It has these inputs. It does this, and it has these options. And to then be able to come along with an iOS app or an Android app or a purpose-built Wi-Fi remote that would say, scan my network. Okay, this room that I'm in, these are the devices I'm using, and have it configured that way. It would be so much nicer like if everything played by that same standard, but that, obviously that's never going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and, uh, and that's it, you know. I, well... <laughs> I hope it I hope it hangs on is all I can say. Yeah. You know one thing that gave me a little bit of hope for uh for kind of this, these the backporting uh, old technologies was did, have you ever used a Google Cloud print? No, but I did once you sent it to me this week. <laughs> this is cool. It's um, it's limited, but it's also super easy, so you know. So I came across this while I was looking for um I think I had googled, you know, Android AirPrint or something like that, right? And I come across Google Cloud Print, and I'm like, okay, what is this? And what you can do is uh, on the print on the computer that's plugged into a printer. If you're running Chrome, you can inst- you can go into the settings and add the printer as a Cloud Print printer, right? And once you do, from any instance of Chrome, you can print to that printer. And as far as I can tell, you don't actually have to have Chrome running to do so. I think it runs something in the background. Interesting. Because I, I, I installed this on the mini that I have in the bedroom where I've got the printer plugged in. And long story, it's a weird setup in my apartment. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, I get it. But I closed off Chrome and then tried to print something from my Nexus. And uh, it printed. And it came out on the, the test print or whatever. And it came out and worked great. And it's fast. And 
it just seems to work with Chrome everywhere. And it seems like also any other Google-enabled apps, it's an open standard, I think, so you can other apps can be built to print to it. It actually shows up in Android as a shareable, um, like you can share to your cloud print, which is nice. Interesting. And I haven't tested this yet, but I also saw the option. I think you can also print to your Google Drive. Wow. Yeah. So I'm not sure when this came out. If this is rel- I, I, I believe the app for Android is still beta, but this is like actually easier than AirPrint. Huh. And there's, I, they also have a list of Wi-Fi enabled printers that will work without a PC configured. Um, oh, right. Yeah, I saw those when I set it up. That's, but that's, basically, on your computer, if, you have it, if your computer is configured to print to a printer, it will, you know, you can turn on cloud print for it. So even if you have a Wi-Fi printer that's not supported, if you have a desktop PC that does print to it, you can turn on cloud printing for it. This is really cool. It is cool. I, I played with it just very briefly. I tried, uh, I printed from Chrome and, uh, and saw it work. I, what I really need to do is take the time to figure out what all I can do with it. Because like, I know that on iOS, when they added printing, and I forget when it was, but it was a while back, right? Yeah, it was like version four or five. Right, or yeah. It was cool, yeah. though, because there are actually times where you're like, you know, I would really like to be able to print this. Oh, yeah. And, and I played around a little, and I found a utility called Printopia, I believe it is. Which uh, sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, which which you install and it installs as a uh, you know as a system uh, as a system pane, right? Yes, yes. And it allows you to it it, it looks to iOS as a, like a uh, like a shared printer, uh, right. an iOS capable printer. But what it does do is expose all the printers that are are uh, available on that computer, including including network printers. And that are accessible from the computer running Printopia. Yep. And it also opens uh, print to Dropbox and print to the screen. So, like, if you're sitting there and you have something, you're like, yeah, I want to see this on the desktop. You can just hit it and it it pops it up on the screen and you're good to go, right? Right. And you can do other things with it. And I use the crap out of Printopia. Uh, So, I really need to get in and figure out what I've I've been looking for something similar for Android so that I could use it the same way, print to Dropbox and print. I know there's a way to do it. I just don't know how yet. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the the sharing function kind of replicates that in in Android. But as far as I can tell with this Google Cloud Print, it's entirely free. The app was free. The the setup was free. And it's just... Just works. That's awesome. Yeah, I just need to play with it some more. Is what it really comes yeah, down to. I, I, it looks like it's it's one of these things that they kind of quietly introduce, make it really open and extensible, and then suddenly it's like a whole new standard for <laughs> for printing. And I I I'm very pleased with it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, what's next here? Um. Well, I saw that uh, there is a. Uh, not really an announcement, but kind of like a, well, we're working on it uh, from Netflix. Uh, the CEO, Reed Hastings, was talking about this is that, okay, you know, on Netflix, when you've got, say, multiple people like in your family on the same account mm-hmm. and you're, therefore your recommendations go all to. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the, the people who have kids going, why am I getting Dora the Explorer over and over again? Exactly. Um, well, apparently, uh, sometime this year, and he wouldn't say when, which makes me think uh, sometime next year, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're working on a profile setup for Netflix. Oh, So you can that's set cool. up like dad, mom, kid, or, you know, brother, sister, that kind of thing. Well, that makes so a that lot way, of sense. Well, I, and it really does, because like I... For that specific reason of, um, you know, not wanting my sister's recommendations, um, I gifted her her own Netflix subscription <laughs> instead of just letting her access mine. Because it's like, you know, I really don't want your your recommendations mixed in with mine. <laughs> oh, thank you. But yeah, I think it's cool that I mean, on one hand, if you're you can share the account if you're willing to accept that you can stream at the same time, which makes sense. Well, I think you can stream up to two or three places at once. Oh, that's and cool. That's, yeah. And then you can have like a maximum of seven or eight devices registered to it. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's kind of interesting, especially more, not so much in the everybody let's share a Netflix account idea, but more in the, um, we've got a 360 in the living room. Why should we have to log out and into different Netflixes right. every time we want to watch a movie? Let's just, you know, have a single screen that pops up saying, you know, who's watching right now? And then just have <laughs> nice. it select who's watching. And then that makes a heck of a lot more sense than, than you know, having everything mixed in and or, or switching accounts. So agree. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I would say if, but when that comes. You know, I want to be positive. <laughs> no, I and and the only I hate to be a downer, but the only thing I, I've I, if it wasn't for GWC, the main GWC podcast, I think I would have dropped my Nets Netflix subscription a long time back, just mm. because you know, quite honestly, uh, with what's available in Prime and the way I watch, um, I can get a lot of it via Prime, and there's more depth in Prime. Granted, a lot of it's paid, but it's so rare that right. you want to watch those. That uh, hell with it. I'll pay the two bucks or three bucks and just watch well, it. You know, this is furthering our conversation into the uh, fracturing of, oh, of these yeah. uh, services. You're I mean, so right. You're gonna, you know, prime. But if you know you want those specific movies that are only on Netflix, then you got to go back there. And yeah, yeah but I'm so. starting to think I can live without them. You know, are are you uh, streaming only at this point, or do you still have discs? I still have discs, but uh, I, that's, I think that can go away as well. You're like, I still have discs. They're exactly. Yeah, I'm just lazy, and I, haven't, <laughs> I have a couple to return, and then I should probably like, Why do I have Corner Gas Season 4? <laughs> Pretty much. For 18 months. <laughs> yeah, well, I liked it a lot. Okay, I wanted yeah, to watch it a couple. it's a good season, It right? is actually a good season of Corner Gas. So tell me about this remote control. Why do we have a remote control on on our our discussion list today? It's not a remote control, actually. It's a handset for your smartphone. Okay, my smartphone is a handset. Oh, apparently it's not. Um, apparently, what they want you to do um, this is a this is an accessory that's initially coming out in China, and uh, it's paired with the. Uh, I believe it's called the Butterfly, which is the non-U.S. version of the Droid DNA. Okay. Uh, it's a handset that looks like a uh, like a a 2001 version of uh, of a cordless phone, 
you know, no, no antenna on it, but it's, it's got like a black and white LCD screen and it's got like a send and an end button and a four way hat and you know, the numbers one through zero on it. Right. And apparently it's because, you know, it's such a hassle to have to take your smartphone out of your pocket and make a call. Hmm. So now you can take the handset out of your other pocket and make a call. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you understand what the point of this is? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the only re- the only way I can really imagine this making sense is if the phone were like excessively small. You know, I like in uh, in Futurama or something, or right? Too- yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> know, tidy phone. yeah. No, I th- <laughs> or if you had a situation where like uh they do mention in the in the article here now that I'm looking at it. Uh, they do mention that they imagine you're going to use it as a streaming device as well. So they imagine that you're going to come home and you're going to like stick it in this dock and then use it on the TV and this thing will now become the remote control for it. Which right. also I seems mean- like something I'm not likely to do. Right. It would have to be one of those rare setups where it's it's a person that lives completely off the smartphone and, you know, it's one of these you know, like places like Japan where you have that super high speed wireless connection that, you know, you just have data everywhere and, and you can just plug it in and, and use it as a remote. It said they said they also have a feature for finding your phone if you lose it. Well yeah. Which I mean, you can trigger from this thing, but what if you lose this? <laughs> yeah, I think that's more I don't likely. know it's it's just more like, you know, I'll put my smartphone in one back pocket of my jeans and the, the remote in the other one or have yeah, the handset. Yeah, I think I see what they're doing, but I'm not sure it really has any kind of uh, I'm with you. likes to it. Now, I have to admit the one thing that was kind of weird that I, I, did, have, I did run into uh, recently is that for a long time, like when I do longer conference calls, calls that last many hours, right? In which case, you're, let's face it, nobody likes to talk about it, but you use the mute button, okay? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's going to be a bio break in there, whether they schedule one or not. You know? Pound six, am I right, people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you're going you're gonna to mute and everything. So I, I in the past, I had used... Um, I just use Skype because I my computer makes a killer speakerphone, you know? Oh, yeah. I can turn it up nice and loud. I can hear what's going on. Everybody can hear me really easily. I can mute it. I can very easily switch it on and off, see it on the screen. It's great. Uh, but, of course, the problem with that is that if for some reason you need to get up to answer the front door or do something, you can't take it with you. Whereas having it on, you know, the phone, on speakerphone, uh, muted, then picking it up and throwing a headset in it, you can run down while you're muted and take care of something if you need to. Ironically, right? this would make a better paired device to a PC than a, than a smartphone. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not kidding. Um, the thing that uh, that I kept thinking would be really nice, and I looked, and sure enough, they do sell them because it's very similar to a car kit is a good, high-quality speakerphone. Now, this, admittedly, the speakerphone in the iPhone is amazing. I mean, for what it is, mm-hmm. it is just crazy that you can hear it as clearly as you can and that people can hear you as clearly as, as they can. Microphones it's, and speakers that small, that close together should never shouldn't work sound this way. that good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it just and it's quite fine. Uh, but it is. It seems a little quiet when you're if you're going to be across the room. You know, it, it's and sure enough, there are people with these problems. There are people that want to have you know a good old standard conference call style thing where you have a table with ten people sitting around it. They like to be able to jack the iPhone into it and use the iPhone for it. Right, it makes perfect sense. They make Bluetooth versions. You know, of course, because why not? Yep, it's pretty much a car kit for your house, right? 
but uh but the man's just super pricey you know i mean even the the cheapest ones were uh 50 bucks or better and quite honestly i think the mic technology is probably going to be crap compared to the built-in so yeah the the other the other option that i'd come across actually my brother came across it and i'll have to ask if he's still using it is a device that when you get it, it you you plug it into your phone network right um, and you actually plug it in line, I believe. And what, what happens is that when you get home, you say, put your phone on the charger and leave it there, right? Uh-huh. And it's within proximity of this device. Oh, and it and pushes it them does all through your... The, yeah. yeah, if the phone rings, it rings an alternate ring on your landline, which you can then pick up, and then it handles the caller or the, the call waiting between the two, that kind of thing. Um, so that way you could just use any phone-based handset or speakerphone solution. I... My brother, when he moved into his house, set it up. I have no idea if he's still using it or not. But I'll have to check with him. Yeah, it for, seemed like a cool idea at the time, but it's like one of those ones that yeah. seems a little too... It doesn't work. Because what happens yeah. is, I mean, nobody's use case is that lockdown. Well, you know? and, and, th- and I mean, at this point in time, nobody leaves their phone anywhere anymore either. Drag it around with you every day. Everywhere yeah, you exactly. go, even within your own house. So. Again. Because uh, no. you got a tweet that you're making a sandwich. No, screw that. I mean, as we just, I, I just mentioned, I use it to control remote, con- as a remote, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yes. Even more useful. <laughs> so it's, it's not like, I mean, tweeting jokes aside, I mean, there are reasons to have this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One last item on the list that we, uh, we should get in because I find this particularly interesting. You, uh, you, you tagged, and I, I saw this as well. Uh, people will probably notice that the Boeing 787 Dreamliner has had a couple of kind of ugly incidents, right? Yeah, I believe uh, they're grounded at the moment. They are, and, uh, and it has to do with batteries. Both times they had, they had problems with uh, uh, lithium-ion batteries that are installed in the airplane and had, had issues, right? Yeah. I, I think it's kind of funny. I, I've heard a couple of people that are also kind of aviation geeks like me talk about this and be like, I don't understand why there would be a problem. I mean, it's just battery. They're in everything, you know. I am kind of the opposite. I find it amazing that there aren't more issues with lithium-ion batteries than there are. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> As anybody who will have damaged one of these can attest to, it's, you know, it's they're not the, you know, the, when they go bad, they go bad. Well, here's the deal. I, I, I wrote a piece on this for, for uh, Popular Science quite a while back uh, that dealt with uh, back A123 before they were sold a couple times and went bankrupt, right? Right. And when they were early on kind of developing the, the newer forms of lithium-ion tech that have really lit the market up and allowed you to have these devices that run 10-plus hours and, and, and are making uh, electric cars a possibility and blah, 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 right? Yeah. It's all about you know, density, trying to get a lot of energy into a really small space. And despite it being electrical or whatever kind of energy, chemical, whatever kind of energy it is, that's scary. Because if you think about it, if you pack a large amount of energy into something, it's important how it comes out, you know? Yeah. Whether it comes out as a, as a, you know, a nice, polite 12 volt current or a fire. Or it explodes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny because uh, in the power tool business, which we write about a lot for Toolmonger as well, you know, this is these new batteries have really opened the door to cordless tools that you never saw either. Like in the past, you very rarely saw cordless circular saws because let's face right. it, circular yeah. saws are a very high amp, amp draw tool. 
to do You'll anything notice of the value. lights dim when you plug one in. <laughs> yeah, if you know to do anything of value, it requires a lot of of current and the trick being high amp draw meaning not just a lot of juice but a lot of juice in a short period of time in order to be able to do anything and the trick is is that these new lithium-ion batteries can deliver that the problem has been regulating it you know getting it out in such a way that it doesn't spike the temperature or otherwise cause the battery to become chemically unstable and explode well, see, and then when you start to introduce different things into the from the aviation industry, like oh, by the way, large temperature and pressure right, swings exactly. every day, ten times a day, that can be a problem, right? And 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 you know the other things you run into are terms of charging. Uh, charging is very interesting. Uh, kind of a funny thing, but a number of years back, uh, Milwaukee had put out right around the time these new updated lithium-ion batteries started hitting hitting use. Uh, they, you saw people start to move, you know, the, the electronics required to manage the battery in a particular tool or device, be it a phone or a, a computer, or a car or a tool, right? Right. Has, has electronics to manage that battery to literally only allow certain amount of, uh, you know, amp draw from it in a certain way to monitor its temperature and shut it off. If it runs into problems to make sure that it charges in a very complex, uh, you know, mapped pattern so that it's, it, it, it doesn't have problems and uh, they move these a lot of times from the tool to the battery even because you know they wanted to make sure there were not going to be any problems with it well these batteries have to be smart at this point damn right you well said sir i mean these are no longer oh it's a battery no 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 just just shove voltage into it see what happens (laughs) it's a battery system man you know and and so it surprises me uh not at all to see that you run into some issues uh, this article that you linked is really fun because uh, they have a uh, an MIT guy uh, who is saying, you know, what they really need to do is switch to nickel metal hydride, which which mm. might be the case. Who knows? Yeah, the, the 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 reason that they apparently went with lithium ion in the first place was the uh, weight reduction uh-huh. uh, versus nickel metal hydride, which are obviously quite a lot heavier, uh, especially when you're putting the amount for a seven eighty seven in there. Um, they also said, though, that there were alternates that they could do, like they could re-engineer the batteries. to. Ha- uh, what, what's happening is that they're getting too hot internally. Right. Um, so, so, like, if it's a small battery, it's able to vent its heat out into the surrounding area and dissipate it, and it's not a problem. But with these larger batteries, the, um, the heat doesn't dissipate fast enough, and the, internal gets, the internals of it get really hot. So if they could um, uh, install vents through the batteries... Um, up the middle of them, you know, or or put in uh, smart readings like sensors and stuff to make sure that they uh, they you know don't this, overload them. This you is know, funny like- because this smacks to me very much of like somebody read the article, you know, read the the FAA limitations uh, on grounding it, picked up the phone and called someone to get an expert on the line. Said they're using lithium ion batteries what should they do and the guy said well you know they could use other types because those have different standards they could do this they yeah. could do that okay number one then they come back and write this piece which says oh they they should do this or should do that wait number one there are if it if there are lithium ion batteries in there they do have control systems already this might be a software fix it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody cool. if somebody just wrote a software fix to say, okay, we're going to deliver less current in these situations. We're going to charge in a different schedule and plan, map it differently, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you oh. know, there are a lot of options short of just completely ripping them out and starting over. But whatever it is, right. you can bet they're going to do it fast because there's some real freaking expensive airplanes sitting on the ground. 
Yeah, they, you know, the, the people that have already taken delivery of these aircraft are pretty much chomping at the bit to get them up in the air I again. Imagine that. They're burning through money sitting there. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, airplanes are expensive. You got, yeah, go figure. You got to wonder, you know, Boeing, Boeing did it for weight. Um, and, That's you know, the, the airlines don't want them to put, pro, or probably wouldn't want them to put in the, the heavier batteries either because yeah. they're like, well, we bought it based on the fact that we could haul this amount of people in cargo. Um, well, it's if actually we gotta, worse if we got to sacrifice that. another whatever, then we, uh, you know, that that's probably it's way worse than that, man. It's got a, it, it all interrelates. So what ends up happening is if the airplane gets heavier, it changes the the restriction of what you can bring on it and how it changes the weight balance of the airplane where you put them. And I guess it depends happens. on where it's heavier, yeah. right? You know, which changes its its flight specs in various ways which can do huge things like affect its ability to fly certain routes i mean it can really snowball quick with all of this so it'll be interesting to see what the solution is this particular article uh which was a cnet piece is kind of a a fluff piece and i suspect they didn't really um well i mean you you don't go to cnet for the complete technical (laughs) details imagine that (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure there are faa papers about what's going on right now so right you know, I, we'll, we'll see what happens with this, but it's, you know, any, anybody who's, you know, worked on on laptops or anything in the last 10 years has has known what happens when one of those laptop batteries start bulging. So, yeah, it's like, scary. Yep, OK, I'm thinking from 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 a small time geek perspective, it seems a little obvious now, doesn't it? Yeah. And fire is actually one of the most dangerous things that can happen short of otherwise just falling out of the sky. Uh, fire is very difficult to deal with on board because all of the things you would do to fight it have limitations and and affect the ability to stay in the air. And it's just it's a bad deal, you know. So well, pressure differences and uh, air differences and everything. You, you basically you could actually make it worse by doing normal firefighting. Well, and it's not just that; it's it's more complex than that. Like, uh, well, anyway, bottom line is it's a bad deal. And in fact, a lot of the uh, pretty ugly accidents you see, uh, many of them start with a fire. I mean, the one that I remember pretty clearly was the, uh, um, gosh, that uh, that uh, freight flight that that uh, that's not true. It was a it was a passenger flight over Florida that that had was carrying freight on board that included, I think it was oxygen uh storage devices that it, uh, yeah it was one of the yeah. it was a seven it was one of those 737s that was half and half it was cargo in the back and uh, yes. passengers in the front yeah well however it worked bottom line was fire on board uh fire can very quickly make the airplane unflyable it's difficult to put out you can't just pull over and deal with it so uh, <laughs> yeah when the fire burns through all of your control linkages for the back of the plane yeah, bad things happen yeah so. you're gonna have a bad time yeah well, we should probably wrap up, sir. Anything to add here in the last couple of minutes? Uh, no, just thanks for people that have continued to be sending in uh, stories and ideas for Modern Geek. Uh, we've been using them, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm having fun. Awesome. <laughs> I'll throw out one quick thing. Uh, I know we've mentioned this on the main Galactic Water Cooler podcast, but in case you didn't hear about it or you only listen to Modern Geek, uh, we do the the GWC network has a fairly uh, fairly large meetup each year. All uh, right, <laughs> yeah, in Texas, and uh, that's coming up. Uh, you can find out all about it. It's uh, it's in March, and uh, if you go to the galacticwatercooler.com website, you'll see a 2013 meetup link right at the top. Just click on that, and you can see what's going on. It's a lot of fun. We will be doing a number of uh, what we call them roundtables, which are kind of like if you can imagine a, 
um, a uh, panel and a discussion group had a baby. It's sort of, <laughs> it's a round table and we're doing a number of them this year. And uh, Modern Geek is sort of, they, they're still a little bit in flux, but Modern Geek is blocked out for one. So uh, we're- I like, to, I like to think of them as those, those long hours, long discussions you've had about the topics you love in the bar until they close it. Well <laughs> kind said. Of, kind of discussions that, and that's basically what we're building it around. Yeah, so uh, if you're interested, check it out on the website, and we'd love to see you, and uh, we'll see you here next week. From everyone here at Modern Geek and GWC, thanks for listening. If you have something to add to the show, a news tip, feedback on anything we've discussed, or just some random awesomeness, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. You'll find other GWC podcasts, as well as the friendliest people in geekdom, on the GWC website and forum at galacticwatercooler.com. And don't forget, financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.